Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Moving on, if you have your Bibles handy, open up to 1 Samuel. We're gonna be going into 1 Samuel, and as we do that, I wanna give a special thanks to uh, doctors uh, and Mr. and Mrs. Ben and Jen Noonan, who, uh, they were in the first service, uh, so now I feel a bit of relief that they're not here while I'm teaching the Old Testament, which they are Hebrew scholars, and it's really embarrassing, but um, they are great people. We're so grateful to have them here. And, uh, and, and going into this, uh, the, my title for today is God's Silent Sovereignty. God's Silent Sovereignty, which we are going to see in 1 Samuel chapter 1. God's Silent Sovereignty. Um, and, and so maybe I can think about it like this. We know that God is working all the time. But we don't see a lot of time the stuff that he's doing. And so it may lead us from time to time to just question, like, you know, God, you are working, right? You're doing stuff, right? I mean, there, there's things happening, right? And, uh, and then I was like, well, how, what, if we ever got to a question of like, is God really still working? How would we know? And I thought, okay, pause on that. If I asked you right now, are all of your organs working, right? Now, there are some in here who legitimately could say, oh, no, I, I actually have an organ that is not working. Like, okay, I get that, I get that, that's abnormal. I, uh, like for the most of us though, if I were to ask you, are all your organs working? Like if you ask me, I would say, I, guess, I mean, I guess so. I guess, like, I, you know, I think. Uh, if not, I don't know it. Um, I mean, I'm sure, like, my spleen right now. I think my spleen right now is probably rocking it. Um, now, I, uh, to be fair, I don't know what a spleen does. I have no idea. Uh, I don't know that I paid attention to biology, and I'm not a doctor, uh, not a medical doctor. So uh, I don't know that kind of stuff. So, uh, but I guess it's doing great. And so all I would say is, I seem to be together and the things that are supposed to be working seem to be working because I seem to be cruising right along. So there's a part of me that when I look at how God works in the world, like I get there are ways that he's not working in ways that we would like to see him work. But if you were to ask me, do you, do you feel like you see God's handiwork in the day-to-day of life? I would say 100%, absolutely, I have no doubt of that. This world is working and I see God's hand in it and I hear enough and see enough that I know God's still at work. So like I am confident that God is at work, even though I don't always see him and even though I can't make it always a direct correlation one-to-one. That's what we're gonna see today in 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel, we're gonna lean into God's silent sovereignty. And if you weren't here last week, then I really encourage you to go back and check that out. You can link our old sermons on uh, our website, and I'll take you to YouTube and Vimeo. And uh, I would really watch it, because it's a background of 1 Samuel all last week, which, which was great. Um, and if you started attending last week, like, you're kind of stuck with this now. Like, you can't leave the church, because you just started, and you got all the background. You've already started at the beginning. You might as well see the whole thing through. And then you can decide in a year or two whether you want to stay. But <laughs> other than that, we're going to go forward. So uh, just a couple of things that it might help you to know. So the book of 1 Samuel comes on the heels of the book of Judges and the events of the Judges, and it was written somewhere in the 900-ish B.C. time frame. All right, so this is an old, old work. It goes back to 900-something uh, B.C. Samuel is the key figure. He's also who they call the kingmaker, all right, because Samuel uh, was the first one, he appointed the first king to Israel, Saul, and then the most famous king, David. And so he is the one who's kind of the key figure in the midst of all of this. And what we will see is that God is calling leaders to obedience, and then they have a choice to make. So the leaders that submit to him and walk with him, they experience blessing and prosperity. And those who reject him, those who do their own things, who rebel against him, they suffer consequences. And I would just say as a, as a, as a collective whole, we can look at that and go, that makes sense to me. When you obey the Lord, there are natural blessings that you receive. When you disobey the Lord, there's natural consequences uh, that come with that. We'll see that lived out. We're also going to see a revelation of God's character and, and his 
direct interaction with humanity, which I think for us will be instructional and inspirational as we go through this. I literally think we're going to learn, uh, and even before today is out, I think we'll learn, learn a lot from First Samuel. Uh, and I would say this, Israel right now is a mess. They're a mess morally, they're a mess spiritually, and they're a mess politically. Okay, let's pause on that for a second. If I were to ask you about the United States, would you say that we're a mess morally? What about spiritually? What about politically? And now let me, let me twist that one a bit. What, what if finally all of your people got elected to office? Would we still be a mess politically? Yes, yes we would, because we're a mess, right? We're a mess. When you take sinful people, we're just going to be a mess. So until this nation submits to the Lord, we're always going to be a mess. But uh, we just keep that in mind. And we're like, okay, that's, that's good for us to know. And God can still be in charge, even though everything seems to be a mess. So today we're going we're gonna to walk through that. And our journey will start uh, with us meeting a woman named Hannah. Now, Hannah is barren. She is unable to have a child and it breaks her heart. And in, in this day and age, children were currency, so to speak. Like they, they were your retirement plan. Uh, they were your economic well-being as they matured and worked on the farm or whatever you did. Like, like children are everything. If you didn't have children, it was often considered that God had somehow not shown you his favor or maybe even was punishing you. And so that was a, a normal belief uh, for the people at the time, whether it was true or not. But I think what we're going to see today as God interacts with Hannah is the sovereignty of God, even in the silence of the situation. All right, so so we're going to start right off uh, and, and look at this crisis that is in this family. First uh, Samuel chapter one, verse one. As I jump into it, let me say this. Have you ever tried to read Old Testament names out loud? Uh, I mean, it is so hard. It is so, so hard. And, uh, but here's my assumption that you don't speak Hebrew. And so whatever I say, you're just going to roll with. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Now, see, unlike first service, in the first service, doctors Ben and Jen Noonan were here. So Hebrew scholars were in the first service. And politely, I did not talk to them after the service. I don't want to know how I did. But I'm going to assume you don't know the difference. So when I read through, I will just read confidently, and you'll assume I know what I'm saying. All right? Here we go. First Samuel. All right. There was a certain man of... <sighs> Ramathame Zophim. Of the hill, that's how you say it, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Pen <laughs> sounds like a sandwich. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Okay, so, all right, let's just let's break this out. Let's get beyond the names a little bit. So here's, here's what we know. Key characters here, we have this guy named Elkanah. Now, Elkanah, we're going to hear more about. This is the man, this is the husband, uh, and we have some connections to how he's related. He has two wives. One is Hannah, one's Panina. Hannah and Panina, man with two wives. All right, so multiple wives in the history of the world was a common thing. It was just survival. It's also common in the Old Testament, even for faithful men of God, because that was not forbidden uh, for faithful men of God at one time. It is now. Now, every time I have seen this situation in scripture, I am reminded of why I would never want this. So here's the, like, because I bet, I bet when we talk about a husband having two wives, I bet there's some men in here that like for a moment, you're like, ooh, two wives. Like, like you're, you're not thinking this through. It is a bad idea. It always turns out bad. It's never good. You do not want this. And so let me just say this, men. Men, if you will just learn to love one woman well, you will be blessed. 
you will be blessed. Listen, and it's, it's hard for her too. Let me be honest. Like you're not the, the catch always that you think you are. So the two of you got to figure this out together. But if you just, each of you works with one, it's going to be so much better off. You'll be happier. And before we're done today, you'll, you'll amen that. That's a, that's a good comment. All right, let's go forward to verse three. Now, this man used to go year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli... Hophni and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. The Lord had closed her womb. All right, so a couple of things to keep in mind there. So now they're going to make sacrifices. They're going to uh, this place called uh, Shiloh where they're going to be making the sacrifices. So Shiloh is, um, it was established in the book of Joshua chapter 18. So if you're taking notes. So in Joshua 18, uh, the tent of meeting was set up at Shiloh. That's where you, you would go to meet God. Now we know if you study much of the New Testament that eventually the place of worship ends up in Jerusalem. That's where they build the temple. And uh, that's about 20 miles south of Shiloh. But for now, the tent of meeting as it was is in Shiloh. That's where people would go to meet with God. That's where they'd worship. That's where they'd make the sacrifices. And so you would take with you sacrifices. And when you got there, a portion of the sacrifice you would give to the Lord and a portion of the sacrifice you actually got to eat. And so that's kind of why when you see this, they took a portion there, but then he gives a double portion uh, to Hannah, uh, which is part of the comment there. So, and, and I do think that's interesting to, to Hannah. He gave a double portion because he loved her. Now, I am wondering, and some stuff is unsaid in here, but I am wondering if, uh, if he just does not love Panina as much. And he didn't, didn't say that, but it does say he loved Hannah. So how he felt about Panina, we don't know. We do know uh, about Hannah. And uh, when you heard Panina mentioned on verse 4, it says, On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Panina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. All right, so she, she doesn't just have a kid or two, like, She's the old woman living in a shoe. There's a, like, there's kids everywhere. That's what she's got going on. And, and Hannah does not have that. Hannah is, is struggling with this. Now, there's a comment made. The Lord had closed her womb. The Lord, now, some of you would probably say, that, that doesn't seem nice. <laughs> like the, the Lord, it sounds like the Lord is being mean to Hannah. Like, Lord, why would you do this? Is it possible that we could experience something that we think is bad but it'd actually be the best thing for us from God's perspective. Like 100% yes. So here's the two things I remind myself of. Whenever I'm going through any, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. If I hit tough times, if I hit difficulties, if I, if I hit sadness, I pause and I remind myself of two very important things. One, God is good. God is good. And two, he's way smarter than I am, right? He, he knows everything. And so if my good God who knows everything says, Jeff, this is for you right now, then we receive it, right? I just receive it. And I realize at the end of it all, God's will be done and to his glory. That's what I want. And that's what Hannah's got to wrestle with at this point. Now, we've all experienced this in a number of ways. I remember like years ago when we had started the church. So we started this church in 1998 when I was four. And we, um, <laughs> and, and we started looking for a place to meet. And we met in the Summit Parkway Middle School is where we met. And we hadn't been meeting there too long at all before uh, the principal called me into a meeting. And now let me say this before I move on. The Summit Parkway Middle School has completely turned over staff and administration since that time. So none of these people are even in the story anymore. So I just, I, that's a precursor. So uh, we were in Summit Parkway Middle School. The principal called me in and basically told me, I don't like you and I don't want your church to meet in our school. 
I was like, oh, well, at least we're being honest. And I appreciate that. Thank you so, so much. Um, although he said he was a Christian and went to a church here in town. But um, anyway, he lied. So, um, <laughs> so I don't know, maybe not. But, we're, uh, but anyway, so he works his magic behind the scenes and actually gets us kicked out of the school. So it's, it's weird because we had a, a deal with Richland County and then Summit Parkway was able to kick us out. It was a weird deal. So, um, and so um, I was really frustrated with that. And then, and then we had to spend a long time looking for a place to meet. And it's really hard because we were a new church, which means we didn't have a lot of people. We didn't have a lot of money. And we're trying to figure out where to meet. And it was very hard. And eventually we were able to connect with Bookman Road Elementary School. And Bookman Road Elementary School, they were great. They invited us in. They let us meet there. But for me, it was very difficult because Summit Parkway Middle School is right in the heart of everything. And Bookman Road, if any of you have sent your kids there or been involved with it, it's just kind of out of the way. Like you have to be looking for Bookman Road Elementary School to end up there. And, uh, and that, w- that was burdensome for me starting a church. And, uh, and so we got there and we plugged in and I was frustrated. And the whole time, we were, even as a group, we were like, you know, Satan's working against us. He's trying to shut this thing down. And it's, I'm so frustrated. Well, then we end up at Bookman Road and the church more than doubles and we have all these wonderful people come in and I'm like, oh dang, like I was giving Satan credit for something God was doing. And then I had to repent. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Like you were doing, but like, here's the thing. We can't put the pieces together because we don't know what's going on. And so uh, the thing I would say is this, if you have stuff going on in your life right now and you're like, the enemy's against me, hold on, maybe not. Maybe God is doing something that later on you will praise him for, but right now you just don't understand. See, that's silent sovereignty. He's in control, but he is not sharing with you the details, right? And that's the privilege he has as God, and the privilege we have as followers is just to trust him. So that's where we are in this thing. So Hannah, but I guarantee you this, if you paused and asked Hannah, Hannah, do you feel like in some way you've disappointed God? Do you feel like in some ways your barrenness is a judgment of God upon you? I bet she would say yes. Now, we don't know, so that's conjecture. But I bet she would say yes. And the only reason I say that is because that's just human. That's that's what we do. If something goes wrong in your life, you're really tempted to go, I wonder if I've disappointed God. All right, now be careful with that because that's not always the case. But anyway, let's go for it. So now verse six, and her rival... Her rival. I like, you know, they're just removing the mystery in case you wondered. Like she is, she is a bad woman. Her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year by year. It's not minute by minute or week by week. This is year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. All right. I mean, this woman is a horrible, this is a shrew of a woman. She is, she is mean spirited. She is bad. She is snarky. And it says when Hannah was going up to worship at the house of the Lord, Panina would lay into her. And we don't know what she's saying, but something like, oh, you're going to go worship the Lord. Yeah. Clearly he's shown you favor, barren woman, no children, not honored by God. Yeah. Have fun worshiping him. You know, like this whole thing, like you're a mess, you're a disgrace. God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. Like just over and, and I'm not talking, I mean, this is year by year. This is going on. I mean, Hannah, that the, that the woman still has faith in God is a beautiful thing that she doesn't blame God so much that she turns from him. She keeps her eyes on him and she realizes who Panina is. And I'll tell you too, just as a man, 
I really feel for Elkanah at this point. Like, dude, I'm so sorry you married this woman. Uh, you're sorry, but you're stuck with her, right? So it's kind of one of those things. So I feel real bad uh, for him in the midst of this. So uh, this is going on. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll give a warning here. If Panina was in our congregation, and I found out this was going on, let's forget for a second the two-wife thing. Um, if I'm talking to Panina, and I found out she's treating somebody this way, I, w- I would give her this warning. I would say, first of all, Panina, be very careful about mocking those who have less than you. And, and, and as, a, a, as a corollary to that, I would say, be very careful about boasting about the blessings you feel like you've experienced because God hears you. God hears you. And he's much more concerned with this than he is all the stuff that you're bragging about and saying that you have and others don't. And he can change the situation, right? And so that, to me, would be just maybe a, a mild warning for us. Be very careful about making fun of those who have less or boasting about how much you have because God is listening. So here, we're walking through this now. Panina is who she is. Then you get to verse eight. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? I like, listen, I, I, I like Elkanah. I think he's a great guy. It's going through, his, he's taking his family to worship. He's a leader in worship. Uh, he's actually wealthy. You can tell by the, the way this uh, f- even finishes here. He's got cash. Uh, so he's a God-fearing man. Uh, he's blessed financially. And he loves his wife. And he's just trying to encourage her. But guys, you know this. When your wife is brokenhearted, sometimes you just don't know how to respond. And, and wives are all different. You're all different, right? So some wives just want you to sit with them and be with them in the situation. Others, they do want your input. They want you to help them solve the, the situation. I don't know how your wife is wired, but Elkanah's like, okay, babe, like, stop. Like, this is, you're, you're getting nowhere with this. You're grieving and grieving and grieving. Aren't I sufficient? Uh, like, I can, I can make up for all that you feel like you're lacking. I can be that guy. But I, I do know this too. There's no way that a man can process the emotions that a woman feels who can't have children. There's just no way. And so when he's sitting there and he's talking, he's like, babe, I don't, you know, like he doesn't know what to say. And she probably doesn't even know what she needs, but she feels broken in a way he can't speak into. I'm so glad we have a God who knows all things, right? So glad that we have a God who can speak into that and comfort her. Uh, But he, to his credit, he's doing the best he can. He's trying to uh, connect with her. So now from this point, we're going to see a beautiful picture of her faith in the midst of this crisis. So let's keep going with verses nine through 11. And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorstep, uh, doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. All right, so they've made a trip to the the tent, the tent of meeting, and she makes this vow to the Lord. Lord, if you will give me a son, basically I will dedicate him to you. There's the hint there of uh, what they would call a Nazarite vow. So a Nazarite is a a man of God, devoted to God, uh, and he has certain prohibitions by which he has to live. And you can find these, I think it's in Numbers chapter six. So the Nazarite vow involves, uh, among other things, that you would never cut your hair, Um, that you would never eat or consume anything from the grapevine 
and that you wouldn't go around dead bodies. Those are, those are like the big three, like if you can honor those big three. So uh, she says this, Lord, if you'll give this boy to me, um, then I will give him back to you. Now, can I just say here as a pastoral caution, let's be careful of trying to manipulate God, right? Now, listen, I'm not saying Hannah was doing that, but I think she was a little, right? I, like, Lord, if you will give me this, I'll give it back to you. Like, and, and I do think, legitimately, I think there is something a little self-serving about this, but I don't know that I'm going to falter in that. I'm not going to falter. The danger is when we start to do that with other things. For instance, a prayer like this that some of you, I bet, have prayed. Lord, if you will make me rich, then I promise I will give a lot of that back to you as though God needs our money, right? And God, who knows all things, knows it would be very unhealthy for him to answer that prayer in your life. So he has done you the favor of not answering it. So for those who are not rich, you are blessed by God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know my heart. Yeah, but no, we do have to be careful with that. But again, I don't know that I'm going to falter in that. Um, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with a woman wanting to be very much a part of the, the process that should be natural uh, when it comes to biology in this world. And other women have experienced this, and she wants to experience it too. I think that's very normal, natural, and, and appropriate. Um, and so she just kind of makes this deal with God. And so she comes to the one who sits on the seat by the tent of meeting. That's Eli. And to sit on that seat, that's a seat of authority. It shows that he's man's God, uh, God's man. And, and Eli is different than somebody like in my position. So Eli was a priest, and I'm I'm a pastor, and I do want to pause just to point out the difference. A priest represents God to the people and the people to God. He's the intermediary, all right? I am not your intermediary. Who is your intermediary? Yeah, he's our high priest, right? So he's the one that stands between us and God. I'm, I'm just a shepherd. A shepherd is just a sheep who helps take care of the flock, right? That's, that's what we do. And so the big difference between who Eli is and who I am, which is gonna play a role as we go forward. So uh, let's keep going on in our story here to verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a, a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servants as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, oh, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So this here is, a, is an interesting thing. And I do find this to be the comedy in the midst of this thing. So Eli sees this woman praying, and he immediately assumes she's drunk. And so let's pause for a moment. If, if you came to service early today, and you were sitting in your chair, or if you stayed after service, you're sitting in your chair, and I look over, and you're doing something like this, like, I'm not going to look at you and go, drunkard, what are you doing? Go get drunk on your own. Like, I would never do that. Why? Context. You're at the church. I, like, I've seen people pray before. I know what it looks like. Okay, so here's a question then. What does this tell us about the spiritual state of Israel at that time if the priest no longer recognized what it looks like when somebody prays? I mean, they're at the tent of meeting. 
It's not like it's a mystery whether, like, it's like, that's how bad it is? Like, he looks out and he sees somebody moving their mouth. Ah, there's another drunk. Like, wow, wow, Eli, are there that many? <laughs> is this the state of, or, of Israel? Or is this the state of Eli? Just Eli's just done with it. Like, this is a worthless people. Faithless, I don't even care anymore, right? Like, maybe some of that in there. But we see something very dark about the spiritual state of perhaps Israel, perhaps Eli, but there's definitely something going on there. All right, so let's go forward a bit. And then the Lord answers. The Lord answers this prayer, starting in verse 19. So they rose early in the morning, and they worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. All right, so this is a sweet answer to prayer. She names him Samuel. Samuel connects to her prayer. And, and while the translation is a bit difficult, it means something like uh, God has heard or the offspring of God or the name of God. It means something like that. This idea that she is naming him specifically connected to her prayer because God has answered it. And she says the Lord has remembered her prayer. It's not that he forgot her or forgot what she said. Uh, remember simply means he answered her prayer and has, uh, has given her what she had asked for. And then we get to verse 21. Uh, so the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him only. May the Lord establish his word which I love again, just a reminder to me that Elkanah is a man who's like, I don't, you know, if that's what you want to do, great, but I want the Lord's will to be done. That's what he's talking about. So I love that. Um, so the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she'd weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted my petition that I made to him. Which, by the way, is an echo of what Eli said. May the Lord grant your petition. So she says, the Lord has granted my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he has lent to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. So here's what's going on, basically. Hannah is donating her child to the church. That's what she's doing right there. All right, so let's start with this. That was a different time. And if you show up at this church with a toddler, <laughs> we are no longer receiving donations. That's... <laughs> and in case you've had second thoughts, we also do not take teenagers. <laughs> so, like, this is that's not something we do. But this was a different day and age, and, and that's going on, and that's okay. But, um, but that's not some, something we would do. But I do love the response of Hannah. And Hannah actually brings a generous offering to the Lord, which you see in verse 24. Like she comes and says she brings a three-year-old bull. But the language is a bit confusing there. She might have actually brought three bulls as well. So she may have had three bulls that she brought with her. Now, and I know, too, that we're not always familiar with Old Testament um, measurements. Uh, but you see that she brings an ephah of flour. An ephah of flour. She brings a whole ephah of flour. Yeah. yeah, I know, I can feel it. So, all right, so I know, but since we're not always familiar, let me help you with this. So, an ephah is actually a tenth of a homer. So, there you go. Maybe that, yeah. no, that's okay. So, okay, an ephah or a tenth of a homer is actually equivalent to three fifths of a bushel. So, I feel like maybe that 
No, okay. Um, all right, so uh, an ephah, a tenth of a homer, three-fifths of a bushel is actually about 22 liters or about 11 two liters of Coke. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. An ephah, yeah, an ephah. She brought a lot of flour. Yeah, she brought a lot of flour. That's what she did. She brought a lot of a flour with her. That's what she did. Okay, good. And so she brings the ephah of flour and a skin of wine. Now, the skin of wine, actually, the word can also be translated jar, uh, but it might have actually been a much greater amount. She may have brought even up to a bath of wine. A bath is another Old Testament measurement. A bath is equivalent to an ephah. So, <laughs> So she brings 11 two liters of wine. Uh, now, if you're drinking your wine out of a two liter, we probably need to have another conversation. But for the point of it, like she's bringing a good offering to the Lord. That's what she's doing. Now, let's talk about an offering. Now, she's, she's not paying the Lord back for what he has done for her. Any more than when you make an offering, you're just paying God back. Like, nobody comes here going, you know, I had a pretty good week this week. So God... You're going to get some good stuff this week. I had a good week. You have a good week. You know, kind of thing. it doesn't work that way. Or like, Lord, I had a great week this week. I'm going to make it right. Like, that's not, it's not how we do offerings. Offerings are an act of worship to the Lord. And we give generously, whether he's giving us what we think we want or not, we're honoring the Lord. So she's just honoring the Lord. Uh, but this is kind of how she does it. And then she donates her child to the church, which is peculiar, but that's what she's doing. Um, so here we are doing this. And then we get to this wonderful thing, this Hannah's prayer, which starts in chapter two, the praise of a mother. So let me let me just read through it real quick here because I think it's beautiful. So Hannah prays and she says, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Now a reference to a horn was a reference to, uh, in their day and age, their culture, uh, to, to strength and to victory. So she's saying, you know, my strength, my victory, is, it's exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies. Hmm. Who's her enemy? Hmm, Panina. Yeah. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There's none beside you. There's no rock like our God. Oh, I love that imagery. This, like he's our foundation. Uh, he's our protection. He's our security. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, Panina. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, which for them is a number of completion uh, and wholeness. But she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and he brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Oh, that's great imagery. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Really neat note on chapter 10, uh, verse 10 there. Uh, they don't have a king right now, so there's something prophetic that works its way into her prayer. And then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. So I love this prayer of Hannah. In fact, so much so that I actually went back to it several times this week, and I just really took my time reading through it, which I commend to you just to hear this heart of praise going out. And while, of course, I do, th I do think there are some subtle digs to Panina in there, I do, I do think it's beautiful in the way that she celebrates the Lord. Uh, and of course, when we... Um, 
celebrate the demise of our enemies or want God's judgment on them. Uh, we do picture pe certain people. But here she is working through this, giving glory to the Lord. And it does remind me of the what we talked about last week, uh, the Magnificat, uh, Mary's response to finding out that she was going to bear the Christ child, uh, which we find in uh, Luke chapter 1. So I think there's some neat parallel here about a response to what the Lord is doing. And, and I, said, I said this last week, that when we study this book, we are going to find lessons that we can apply to our own lives. Now, I am certain that by the time we've arrived at this point in this message, God has already spoken to some of you about some things. As we've been going through this, you're like, yep, he's already, he's already hit me on some areas here. But if I pull out things that I think we can learn from, one thing I think we can learn from is a lesson on faith, a lesson on faith. That is that, that genuine faith doesn't mean that we'll always get what we want. It is simply trusting the sovereignty of God. It is knowing that, that God is good and he's way smarter than I am. And so whether or not I get the stuff I want, I know that God loves me and he's taking care of me. It, it was funny. I've, there's a Psalm that I love, Psalm 37, four. It's a verse in the Psalm 37. And the thing I love about this, and I've shared it with numerous people. I shared it with my son recently. Psalm 37, four says this. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I've always understood that the closer you draw to the Lord through the knowledge of his word, your worship of the Lord, that, that you become more aligned to him. And so you become more satisfied with the things of God, which it makes logical sense. But as I've gone through life, I've been surprised to learn that it also means some of the other stuff too. The stuff that you're like, you don't need it to be spiritual. Uh, you actually don't need it to live. But it's the little blessings that he gives you that you're like, Lord, you didn't have to do that. Thanks. And you all have that. You all have stuff like that. If I was like, do you have things in your life right now that you don't need that God has just given you just because he loves you? And everybody here would probably say, yeah, you know, I do. I do have some things. And so Psalm 37, four kind of has this dual fulfillment for me that, yeah, as I draw close to the Lord, I find myself satisfied and, and blessed in the things of the Lord. But he also does other things in my life too that I also treasure. So thank you for that. Uh, but I do think my big takeaway is sovereignty in silence. Sovereignty and silence. Because at this point, Israel is at a low point. Hannah is at a low point. But God has a plan. It's just that God doesn't share the details or the timing, even though he's always in control. So for me, I'm reminded of this. God doesn't rush into what I think is my most urgent need. He doesn't seem to rush into that. But in his timing and in the most perfect of ways, my good God, who knows everything, gives me exactly what I need. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the reminder of how you work in our lives. Uh, Lord, it is, it is so hard sometimes to trust you when, when we don't see things happening in our lives like we expect that they should. Uh, but the problem is not you, God. It is us and our expectations. Father, if we'll come back to what we can know, that we can know you're good, that we can know you are omniscient, you know all things, you know exactly what we need and when, and also, Lord, if we can submit ourselves to the fact that you have a plan we don't understand, then, Father, may we simply be people of faith who walk with you and trust you in your holy name. Amen.